there's, there's something that's coming. God is shifting the body of Christ into something. You know, when, when um, God encountered Mike Bickle back in the 80s, and he says, I'm changing the expression of Christianity in one generation, he, what was in God's heart was not um, a building. It was not a harp and bowl model. And I'm not saying IHOP is doing it wrong. I'm saying IHOP is doing it right because what God had them do is establish part of the picture. But he's bringing the fullness of the picture. So God is establishing the priesthood in the earth through through a prayer movement that is sweeping all nations. And it's the reestablishment of the priesthood and the reintroduction of the priesthood to the body of Christ. But that is not the fullness that God has had in his heart. The fullness that God has had in his heart all along is that he didn't come to reestablish a religion, but he came to create a man. And humanity would be changed into the likeness of his son. And so he's looking for a temple that does not have walls. He's looking for a temple that's made of flesh. And it's the place that he's moving us now. He's, he's reintroduced the priesthood. He's now about to re, uh, uh, he's about to add to that authority so that we will walk as kings because we're called to be not just priests, but priests and kings. Amen? All right. So that's where this train is going. I remember the Lord said to me when, when he called us to build the house of prayer, he said, I am doing more than this house of prayer. And he showed me in my mind people who were living houses of prayer. And so he showed me their body was like, you know, had like a building and they were walking around and there was an ascending and descending before the throne because the throne is set where? Very nice. Thank you, Matthew. It's in, it's in you. Christ in you. He lives in you. And so that ascending and descending is happening within us. And so we are living houses of prayer. And so that's where this is going. That once more, God is going to reestablish the tabernacle of David, which is the Melchizedek priesthood, the priesthood of the king and the priest walking in authority. All right? I know that sounded like a lot, but did everybody get that? Raise your hand if you didn't. I'll repeat it. All right, somebody in the back. Okay, I got it, I got it. All right, so that's really where this is going. Now, Zerubbabel, and the reason why Zerubbabel is so important and key to this, to this part is because we have a part to play in this grand scheme that God is doing and how he's bringing it all together. And here's the part that he told us to play. He said, I, am, I want you to give birth to Zerubbabel's baby. Well, that sounds kind of weird because most people don't even know who Zerubbabel is. And why would I ever think that I should call a ministry the house of Zerubbabel? It's not exactly like a clever marketing scheme because most of the body of Christ doesn't even know who Zerubbabel is. So they're not even sure we're really Christians, you know? So it's like okay, that, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it because you said it, and I know that somewhere down the line you're going to make this all okay. 
So um, when, he, when he's talking about Zerubbabel, the temple that Zerubbabel built was the second temple, and the exodus that he led was the second exodus. But the temple that he built was a symbol of the new priesthood that would walk in the greater works and the glory of God. Because most of the prophecies that were spoken of Zerubbabel's temple were never fulfilled by that temple. Because he said that in that temple, my glory will dwell, and the glory in this latter temple will be greater than the former. Well, we know that's not true because Zerubbabel's temple was the temple that Herod uh, refurbished and and reestablished, but that was the temple that rejected the cornerstone. And so we know that that wasn't true about that temple. Therefore, we know there is a temple coming that is going to have even the greater glory than the, the original. So the foundation was laid with grace and the capstone is being brought in with a double measure of grace because that's what it says. That's what he spoke to Zerubbabel. And so he said, I'm bringing this last generation And Jesus himself said that we're going to do greater works than he did. So I'm not very good at math, and I'm not a statistician, but I can, I have some common sense. And so if Jesus said that we are going to do greater works than he did, it just makes sense to me that we would have what he had. And so we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus have that this generation is going to have? Because Jesus accomplished everything at the cross. I think we can all agree to that. There's nothing more for Jesus to do. He's not all of a sudden going to do more for the last generation because everything was accomplished at the cross. But yet we can look at history and we can see that there have been an outpouring here and an outpouring there, and these outpourings have actually created a shift and, and created like, a, like an additional deposit to the body of Christ. And a great example of that is Azusa Street, where once again the gifts were introduced. It was a Pentecostal kind of outpouring where the gifts were reintroduced to the body of Christ, but they had always been there and they had been laying dormant. But even William Seymour, who led the Azusa Street Revival, said there is something greater coming than what is experienced here. So did Jesus walk in the gifts or did Jesus walk... In the spirit of the Lord. Well, he said in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do everything that you see me doing. And the spirit of the Lord has within it seven spirits. And these seven spirits are found in Isaiah 11.2. Counsel in my wisdom. Help me out. I could look. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord. Those are the seven. The spirit of the Lord is the plumb line. It's the place that it, where it's the centerpiece of all of those. And so he's saying that there, this is what I walked in. I walked in the spirit of the Lord. And the 
fullness of the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, if we are going to be doing greater works, we know that what's coming is is more grace in order so that we can step into what's already there and begin to appropriate that in our lives. And so the key to me, because this is what he said to Zerubbabel, and if he said to us over the past nine years, he's been talking to us about reestablishing the tabernacle of David. You are the tabernacle of David. That's the end. You are. You are the Melchizedek priesthood that's about to be seen on the earth. You are the greater works that's about to be seen on the earth. You are the place where angels are going to ascend and descend. You are the one that's going to go to heaven and bring heaven to the earth. You are going to be the one that walks on the water, that walks through the walls, that is transported to another nation. You will be living this reality on this side of heaven. Okay? So if Jesus said you're going to be doing greater works, we know that this greater thing is coming. Math. It's just math. One plus one equals two. So in part two, what we did is we really talked about, and you can a lot of you have these. Um, I didn't bring it up with me. You have these diagrams, okay? And so what we're doing is we're going along the journey of salvation. Okay, hey, I get saved. I'm living over here in the place of justification. And really, this is a place of, of where we are uh, immature sons. Um, I loved Paul Keith Davis's teaching on the sonship because the, uh, the immature sons are, the, the word son in the New Testament is not the same word every time he speaks it. There are the technons, the immature sons, and then there are the mature sons, the weos of God. The, the weos is what Jesus was called when the dove came down and rested on him. This is my beloved son in whom I will please. And so he's saying that there is a maturity that needs to come. And when he's talking in Romans 8, he's talking about a mature sonship. He's not talking about the immaturity that we stay in. But here in America and in the Western world, it's really hot in here. I don't know if it's the anointing or it's just me. Can we? Okay, let's get the AC going, shall we? Woo! All right. So what he's saying is he's like, hey, church, you guys have been living over here in America. That's why we see everything else around us falling down. Because when the mature bride is, it arises, you're going to start to see the conflict happening and darkness has to, has to come down because the light within us is shining brighter. And so then we, but, but here's the thing, because the church doesn't like pain. They don't like any pain. And it's all like, okay, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to be rich and good looking if you worship Jesus. It's a, it's a gospel of grace that's being taught. And that's what I was taught when I, before I was saved. I was in church, and, and I was taught that, that that was the truth. You know, that you can do whatever you want as long as you call in the name of Jesus. You know, you can um, be an adulterer. You can be whatever. But, you know, Jesus will forgive you, so just... Keep on going. You got your ticket to heaven. That's what I was being taught in a really, really big church in Dallas. You know, come on. Everybody liked that message. But that's not really the truth. That's not what the word says. And so we got to know the word. We got to worship him. And we got we to understand the doctrine of suffering. We have to understand the doctrine that, that Paul even talked about, that he considered it an honor, a privilege that he was partnering in the sufferings of Christ. 
Because that's just life. If anybody here, okay, if you've never suffered or experienced any pain in your life, I want you, when, since you've become a Christian, raise your hand. If you've never ever experienced, you know, like you became a Christian and all of a sudden everything was great. Well, I mean, obviously that's not true, right? We all know that. They can tell us that, but that's actually not true. And so this place of sanctification is where God is trying to take the American church, which is why he's released the priesthood. Because he's saying that through this priesthood, you're actually going to begin to function in more grace so that I can, I can um, um, beautify you so that you can move into this other place, which is the place of, of ruling and reigning with me. Right? Now, is that works? No. God is looking for a bride, a pure and spotless bride. And what he's looking for, and the, and the word is very clear, that when the wheats and the tares grow up together, the wheats are stiff and they're prideful. But the tares, once they mature, that wheat, I mean, I'm sorry, the tares are, are sorry, thank you. The, the tares are prideful and they're, they're stiff. But the wheat, actually, as it matures, begins to bow. And the top of the wheat falls down like this. And so there's an understanding of our position before God that we bow before Him, that we subjugate ourselves to His authority, and we walk as sons. I love what um, Ron Hall said to me one time with Jehop. He said, you know, you've you got to be a good son to be a good father. You've got to be a good son to be a good father. We have to mature in our sonship, and that's really what God is doing by releasing the praying church, is he's beginning to restore us back to his heart, beginning to restore us back to his love. It is the, it is the um, spirit of Elijah that's coming on a whole generation that's being restored back to this love relationship between the father and the son. Um, so you can see on there everything that happens in a place of sanctification. But then, that's not the end game. God is saying, but there is an authority that I'm bringing to you. And you can see this and how he built um, Zerubbabel's temple because he built it with the high priest and he built it with the governor of Judah. And this is an internal rule that God is looking for. When he came to give us the Ten Commandments, right, that was an external rule that he brought to his people. But he took that rule inwards so that we could now rule as priests and kings. So the law is now written on our hearts and in our minds. It says in Hebrews, right? And the commandment that he gave us, he's saying now those, the law has gone within man. I'm now giving you a new commandment. And that commandment is relational. How did he build his first church? It was through relationships. He built it with his brothers, and he was the first son that was going to go in to prepare the, a way that other sons could enter in. And he, and he refers to God with no O, G-D, the fear God, as his father. And so he takes this thing to a whole new level of relationship. And he's saying, I'm going to, these now these external commandments I'm leaving you is this place of love. 
I want you to love God relationally, and I want you to love each other. It's that simple. So I'm going to leave you the law of love to replace the law of the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments and the law is actually going within you, and it's for a purpose because he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law, right? And so it was for a purpose that he was coming to fulfill something that we didn't have the power to do it. And in Zechariah 4, he's talking to Zerubbabel, and he said, this thing is going to come not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And so what he's doing is he's putting his finger on all of these areas of sin in our lives. Why? Does he want to uncover us? No. He's using not only his own presence and our, and our relationship with him, but also the community that he's setting us in to begin to get all of this stuff, all the stumbling blocks out of our way so that we can have a, a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And I love what John was saying during the Father's heart when he said, you can tell about your level of intimacy with God, I mean, with, with, uh, with God based on your intimacy with other people. So the depth of your relationship with other people, you can say, well, my relationship is like this with other people and I really struggle with relationships. Well, that says a lot about your relationship with God and how deep you've allowed him to go in your heart. The more vulnerable and transparent that we become, the more that we get set free. And that's why when the wheat finally matures, the wheat is bowing. What did Paul say at the beginning of his journey? Because he went through this process, which is why he could talk about this process in Romans. It was 14 years from the time that he got saved until he began his ministry. And even after that, the things that he would say about himself were incredible. What did he say? I'm the least of all apostles in the beginning. And then he goes on to say, I'm the greatest of all sinners in the end. And so he went through the process of maturing, and he was bowing. Amen? All right, we're actually going to use the Bible. I just went on and on and on. I have no idea where I am. Just coming out of me. Jesus, you're so good. I love this. I love this message of grace. I love this message of grace. Man, if we can get this, I'm telling you, there's nothing that's going to stand in our way. All right. So this coming awakening, this maturing. Um, I want to give you an example of, the, of, the, of us in our immaturity and us in our maturity. Um, and I'm going to use my daughter Ashley as an example. She loves it when I do this. All right, Ashley, when she was born, man, I loved her so much. She was perfect, beautiful. My love for her had no boundaries. And I wanted to serve her and love her. And as she began to grow, she was a technon. She was an immature son or daughter. So she was an immature child. And, and so the level of responsibility that I could give her was really based on her ability to handle responsibility, right? As parents, you don't want to give them, you know, the keys to the car when they're five because they probably will wreck it. So as she began to grow and I began to pour into her my likeness, my nature, 
And she and I spent time together, and, 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 I, and I loved her with, with just this everlasting love. I mean, I adored my daughter, and I disciplined her to try to teach her and train her. Training means to, to bend her will, and I, and because she had a very strong will. And so there was a lot of bending that had to go on. And it wasn't really, and, and then she got to an age where I was like, okay, you know what, she's like growing up, she can start to handle some more responsibility, and this is what the father does. He watches us, we get saved in our justification, and, he, and, he, and we're technons, we're immature, but he loves us so much, his love for us, because he knows everything that we're about to become. And he knows that, and he trusts his own leadership in our life to be able to help grow us up. He doesn't care about all our stuff, and he doesn't care about all our mess, right? So anyway, when now, as she's a mature woman, there are things that I know that I can trust her with. Like, for example, if I have to go out of town and leave the Haas and leave her in charge, I know that she's going to make decisions that are going to represent me because she has my nature and my likeness. Right? So that's the place. She is now a huios. She is a mature son or a mature daughter to me. And I know that she reflects my image. She thinks how I think. She has her own expression and her personality. But she still has me in her. And my image is in her. Does that make sense? I mean, I think as parents we can all grab, our, grab a hold of that, that um, example, Right? There were times in Ashley's life, and there's times in all of our lives, when we really have difficulty trusting God. Because we're, we're operating in the unknown and things he's asking us to do. And we always know that we're in a moment of testing or a moment of promotion when the moment of testing comes. Because the moment of testing looks like this. Okay, I want you to jump. I know it's a cliff. I know that there's nothing down there but, you know, barbed wire and, and pointed rocks. I need you to jump. And you're like, but I've never been this way before. And I've never done this before. And I'm, you know, and so we have a tendency to draw back in fear, right? And a perfect example is when Ashley was learning how to, she wanted to dive off the diving board. How many parents of you have treaded water in the deep end for like 10 minutes? And you're going... Dive already! I'm drowning! And Ashley was just like, she wanted to do it, but she didn't want to do it. She wanted, she's looking over the edge, and she's like two years old, you know, and I'm treading water. I'm just like, baby, hurry, I'm gonna catch you. I promise I'm gonna catch you. And finally, she makes the dive. It's either like, okay, I gotta go in. I gotta go in. Mom's got no more muscles left in her body. My legs are burning. You know, I gotta go in. And she's like, okay, okay, I'm gonna do it. So she closes her eyes and she jumps. And I catch her. Right. He catches us. And from that point forward, she, she was like, I can do this. So that area that she had to learn how to grow up in, he said, what are the works that I must do? Jesus, what are the works that you want us to do that are the works of God? And he said, I want you to believe. It's that simple. I got the rest. I got this. You don't have to worry. You don't have to strive. You don't have to get all worked up. Because he said this. He said, I leave you with your comforter and your helper, right? I leave you with your comforter because I'm going to comfort you in the place where you're afraid. What did he tell Moses in the Exodus? What did he tell um, Zerubbabel in the Exodus? 
don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid to dive off that diving board. I'm going to be with you. I, I, Jesus said, I have to go because I'm going to be your comforter. I, I, so that the, the comforter will come. So that the Holy Spirit can come and comfort you in that place. And he gives you the grace that you need in order to step into that greater place that he's calling you to. And he said, and I'm going to give you, he's also going to come as a helper. Because he's going to help to lead the way that you need to go, so you don't need to be afraid about missing the way of God for your life. Okay? His leadership is perfect. It is perfect. And those that are led by the Spirit are what? The sons of God. Now, if he's leading, what are we doing? Following. All right. Oh, he's still doing so good. All right, we are going to use the Bible, I promise. So, da, 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 da. All right, this is part three, the grace that enables revival. I think we can start in our notes now. <laughs> oh, it's 12 noon. Woo! Okay, we get to do this again next week. Yeah, everybody. Who's a cheerleader? Not me. Okay. Anyway, um, Let's go ahead and and try to get through at least some of the Bible. Turn to um, Romans 7, verse 19. Romans. All right. You know, I've read Romans a lot, and I feel like I've gotten this. Oh, baby, could you go get me that experiment again? Do you mind? Thank you. Um, it's over by the coffee machine. All right, Romans 19. For the good... <laughs> yeah, bring me back some coffee. woo Um. All right. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. Paul is talking about this conflict that he has with wrestling with this place of, of um, sanctification. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Then a, I, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So he's saying that in this place where there's sin, there is actually the law is enthroned in that place. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law so that that place in us can be made perfect. Okay, so a great example of that, here, put it right here. Can everybody see this? Oh, you need to go up higher? Are you going to hold it? Oh, you're going to do it up there? I love you so much. (laughs) I love this man. Teamwork. Teamwork. Yeah, right. All right, so here's here's the thing. Um, Paul Keith Davis wrote a great book called Thrones of the Soul. And, and he was talking about how he went to heaven, and the Lord showed him 
places in our hearts that are enthroned by sin. And when he went to these places, he saw that some of these had angels in that place, and there were these beautiful, magnificent angels. And then he would go next to him, and there would be this demon that was there, just this horrifying demon, and, and that was you know trying to scratch at him. And, and, and he said, and the angel that was giving him the tour of this whole um, scene um, told him to take water, and he took water, and he poured it on this demon, and the demon went down, and in its place came an angel to stand guard. And so he was saying, as we were talking about last week, how there are actually, what he, what he said about um, this place of, of our souls, where our souls have been enthroned with, with sin, he said that there are there that I have the, the a way for you, and the way is in John 17, 17, to sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. In this word, the word it means logos. That means the sayings of God, the logos word, the word of God, the written word of God. And then he goes on and he talks about sanctification again, Paul does, and he says in Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. And this means rhema word, which is the spoken living, it says, the word, it says that which has been uttered by the living voice. So it is a spoken word of God. So the place of the priesthood and the place of your relationship with Jesus is the place that this stuff gets watered. And so I don't know about you, but when I started on this journey with God, I had this, all of my my thrones that were were, um, enthroned with the enemy could cover this stage. And through the process, and I thought for the longest time that if I just went to places and had people pray over me, and I would get some magical pill or anointing that would help me to grow up and mature, but that didn't work. And so God had to to force me into a place of prayer through a lot of persecution that came on my life, because he said, I love you so much that I will have the fullness of your love towards me. And I want you to have everything that I have prepared for you. Therefore, I am going to push you into the place of prayer. He is going to have us by prayer or persecution, period. And we better, I I suggest the former instead of the latter, because the latter really hurt a lot. So anyway, so you've got this place and you take this place And we want to enthrone it with the spirit of grace. So what you're seeing here is sin, but you're also seeing where the law has been enthroned in that place. Because what do you do with the law? When you wash it with the word and you wash it with the word, what happens? That's good. You get this beautiful place, this pure place where we no longer struggle over that sin issue. Right? Ah, very nice. I like this participation. So that place in your soul is no longer enthroned. But instead what we do, and he tells us in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what he's saying there by implication is that there is condemnation when you do not walk according to the Spirit. In this place, oh, what happened? 
in this place, when you don't walk according to the Spirit and you don't allow the Spirit of grace to fulfill that place and to cover that sin and to wash that sin, then what happens is that you're wrestling with it and you're trying to manage your behavior, which just gets you all bound up and it gets you into shame and condemnation. And you're just like, I failed again. And God's saying, come to me. You know, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Amen? So he goes on in Romans. Are y'all doing okay? Are we good? Romans 8.2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He was just saying that where sin is, the law has now taken over. And Jesus came so that the righteous requirement of that place can now get watered by the spirit of his grace and the law can be fulfilled in that area in you. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit with shouts of grace, grace. And so you know and you can tell in your own life what you're functioning in because the place of grace is the place of peace. It's the place of rest. But when we start finding ourselves waking up in the middle of the night, all worried and bound up, and there is something that God is putting his finger on when we're starting to operate in fear and anxiety and beginning to control our our environment, And particularly, you can tell this, that you start looking at people and thinking, why hasn't this person, why am I not getting promoted? Why am I not getting to the place that God has for me? It's because this person is holding me back. It's because this person here, and I mean, we all do it. If if this person were a better friend, and so we start getting into that thing where we begin to agree with the accuser of the brethren. And we begin to accuse because what are we doing? We're in that place of sin. We're not in that place of grace. The law has taken over our life, and we are trying to get to our destiny in our own strength. But we've got to back it up, and this is what I always tell people. Listen, if you are not in peace, I can tell you that what you're functioning in is you're functioning in control and manipulation, which is witchcraft. It's rebellion, and you need to back your car up and get back into the garage of the Holy Spirit. You need to back it on up because you are not in a place of rest because if you think you can get yourself there, you cannot justify yourself, you cannot sanctify yourself, and you cannot glorify yourself. So this place of glorification is where he's trying to take us. Can I have 10 more minutes? All right. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
Say that word completely. How is he going to sanctify you? Completely. Does that mean he's going to leave part of you undone? No. He said, he said that the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a remnant and a bride and the sons functioning in the fullness of God when he returns. That this place that we're going to is not the place of the gifts, but we are moving beyond the gifts into the habitation of Christ fully illuminated within man. This is good news. All right, we all need to get up and do the, the, the rainbow slinky dance. Come on. So this place of glorification is this place of sons. In verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And this is what all of creation is waiting to see, is the spirit of adoption. Verse 15, For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And he's saying if you will yield yourself to the process of sanctification, you will move on into the place of being glorified with Christ. And we've seen deposits of this Maria Woodworth Etter, William Brannan, we've seen deposits of this in the earth, but what's coming is an entire generation that functions in this reality. And it's going to come by an outpouring of a double portion of grace, grace. That God is going to break in, and now our eyes will see the possibility is what is what, for what is available to us and our, we will be filled with hope and we will step into this place. Because he says back in Romans 5.1, this, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace by which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in the tribulations and this place of suffering. We glory in this knowing that the tribulation is going to produce in us perseverance. And perseverance is going to produce in us what? The nature of God. 1 Peter 1.4 said that we will have the divine nature of God within us if we will yield ourselves. But what are we doing? I'm 
so busy holding on to this little bit of something that I just don't want to let go on and I'm controlling it. Even the promises of God. That's what we were praying about earlier. We hold on to the promises of God so tight that he's just saying, baby, let go. Let me be God. Stop trying to make these things happen. And you're trying to protect it. You're trying to save it. You're trying to whatever it is that you're doing, let it go. We should be walking around like this all the time. Right? And then he goes on to say this in verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so this grace is coming to uncover what is available to us because we get, then we're like, oh my God, I see what is in heaven and I hope once again and I step out into it just like Jake, just like Caleb did, just like Joshua did. What did they see that the others didn't see? They saw what was happening in heaven and in God's heart, and they believed and they stepped into it. You are about to take a step into the promised land for your life. Grace is about to be poured out into your life, and everything that you've been carrying around that looked like an impossibility is about to be possible. But he's saying to us, you must die with me in order for me to raise you up with me. I've got my finger on that thing. And I'm telling you, every single one of us has a thing. And how many of us know that when we get taken, I don't know about you, but this is what I do. I'm just going to use me as an example. God will come in and he begins to work on me in, in a place in my heart. And he begins to say to me, I want you to give me that. And my first response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I just surrender. I surrender. And I don't even know the fullness of what it is, but I know that I've got this wrestling going on in my heart, and I know that I'm not operating in the fullness of the peace that I need to be operating in. And so all I know to do is say, yes, Lord, I surrender to you. And then I just continue in that vein where I just give you, I surrender, I surrender. And Then I have the people around me. I tell them, this is what's going on in my heart, and I need you to be praying for me because God's working something out. So I get the intercessors on my wall, and we all begin to to sing the same symphony to heaven over this issue, and, and I begin to go in the place of prayer, and I begin to use the word and let the Spirit of God wash over this place, and then something happens. He breaks in. And it took for me this last time, it took for me about three months to wrestle this thing out. And it would have taken a lot sooner, but I'm a little stubborn sometimes and I don't get it. So he kind of has to send like an additional tribe of angels down to kind of help me out. But anyway, so I got breakthrough in this issue. And I'm telling you, you get breakthrough in one issue and it's like a domino effect in a lot of the other areas of your life. Because once freedom comes to one area, the light kind of shines over into another Right? Right? So I'm telling you, if God is putting his finger on your heart, Jeremy, you want to come up? Um, If God is putting his finger on your heart, you know it. Because it's an area you have no peace in. And and, and so I'm going to pray, and the first thing that comes to your mind, I really want you today, I want you to leave it at the cross. I want you to come down here, and I want you to just give it away. Because you don't have the strength, and you don't have the might, and you don't have the ability to do it on your own. And if you try, you're just going to make yourself miserable, and everybody around you. I mean, my poor family. 
Like I said, my, my vessel, I had so many of these when I came to the Lord that were filled with a real dark, icky, gross stuff. And he's just been so faithful, just peeling back the onion and sanctifying me. And that process will probably never end. He's not looking for me to be perfect. He's just looking for my heart to be willing. 